You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Before we dive into the word, I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for our president and our leaders. And this is such an important time in our country and what's happening with him right now. I'd like you just to join me, if you would, by bowing your heads. God, I just come before you and lift up President Trump to you and the First Lady. God, I pray that you would heal him. I pray that you would give his doctors wisdom as they treat him. I pray, God, that you would speak to him through this, draw him to yourself. And maybe somewhere around him now there are believers who are speaking to him about you. And God, I just pray that this would be a time that he would be soft and be open to what you have for him and God, I just pray too for the Bidens as they're on the trail and I can only imagine that it must be exhausting and there's people around and um, I pray that you would protect them too, God. Just keep them safe from this virus. I pray for those that are contracting the virus, those families that are grieving those who have died from the virus. I pray that you would minister to their hearts. I pray that you would eradicate this virus, God. I pray that you would enable researchers to come up with a vaccine soon so that more lives can be saved. And God, I pray as the church, as your people, that we would listen to what you have to say to us during this time, and that we won't come out of this the same, that we will be changed and better equipped to reach our world for you. So be with our president, God. Watch over him, bless him, and heal him. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love talking about Acts, and so as I study, I get excited, and the early church is exciting, and it was exploding. The apostles had taken the Lord's command seriously. They were reaching Jerusalem with the good news that Jesus saves, and Acts 6-7 gives us a progress report of sorts as to what's happening there. So Acts 6-7 is this. And the word of the Lord. Uh, let me catch up because the screen's not on. Just leave it, guys. It's okay. I just have to find myself here. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests. These are ordinary, well-meaning priests who just converted by the gospel, became obedient to the faith. So the church was multiplying in great numbers. And not only was the church multiplying, but there was supernatural acts going on everywhere. And for example, there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5 in Acts. They lied to the apostles. Not a smart thing to do. And they were struck dead as they stood. And the Bible tells us that awe came on all of the people. And so there were these supernatural healings happening. God was working. And in Acts 5.16, we see this. And people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. And so there were healings. The church was multiplying. And you couple that with what we've already learned. We've learned that the Lord ascended and gave these commands to the apostles. Go forth. Start in Jerusalem and work your way out to the ends of the earth. Tell the world about me. 
And then you had this incredible moment at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and everything was taking shape. The church was multiplying and there was power in the land. But not everything was coming up roses. Those who were bringing the good news would pay a price. And those who do it in our day pay a price. And so we will learn as we look at this text today that some would be willing to die so that others might live. And this begins to play out really in Acts 5. The the apostles were arrested and then they were freed and Luke takes a closer look at these early believers. And so in Acts 5, 41 and 42, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. I love this. We're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And so this is the example that we have from the early believers. And this leads us now to chapter 6 where we're going to really spend time today. And we meet a man by the name of Stephen. And Luke describes a problem that's happening. The Jews from outside of Palestine were getting annoyed with the local Jews because they were forgetting the widows as they distributed food. And so the apostles got together and said, well, our calling is to spread the word, and so we need to find some men to help. So they went out and found seven men who would help in distribution. And this is widely seen as the first deacon office in the church. And this is also where we see Stephen's name for the first time. So I would like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 6, verse 3, or your phone or your tablet, whatever you have with you. We can't offer Bibles in the seatbacks because of COVID, but you can always follow along on the screen if you'd like. So, This is about Stephen. Luke describes him as a courageous man. And he would be the first to die so that others might live. So this is a description of the men that were chosen as we begin here in verse 3, chapter 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you long to have this said about you? He or she is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I know I would long to hear those words. And that's exactly the kind of person that Stephen was. And so, That's what makes the story so gripping because here's a man that was totally devoted to Christ, so well respected by everyone around him, yet he would be the first to die that others might live. He is the first Christian martyr. And so we see this amazing example, and and here's proof to you and me as we begin that sometimes your faith will put you in harm's way. It's just unavoidable, and I think you and I can tell that things are shifting and changing, and for the first time as I, as I wrote those words down, I thought, wow, this, could, this is 
yeah, this is no longer a future proposition that faith can put us in harm's way. And so you have to decide, are you going to plant your flag in the world or are you going to plant it with Christ? Stephen decided to plant it firmly with Christ. And so he did suffer, but he stood strong. Now in verse 8, the Bible tells us he's doing signs and wonders. And that's really when the trouble started. So if you look with me now at 12 through 15, the religious establishment wanted none of his gospel message. Verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And you'll see as we go through these accusations that are being thrown at Stephen, as Stephen is, is being martyred, that there's a lot of parallels between Stephen and Jesus. And as the gospel moves forward, what we're noticing here is that before multiplication takes place, before things take off, often a storm will hit, or multiple storms. So here's the early church really beginning to flourish, multiplying like crazy, and martyrdom has already begun. And so we have to expect that in our lives too. And so not only will you be in harm's way, but here's the second point I want to make. If you want to spread the gospel, Satan will oppose you. And this isn't said by way of fear. It's said by way of being aware. If you want to be out there on the front lines, and I think we all in our spirits want to do that, then Satan's going to be there opposing you. And so we need to take steps in order to move forward. And here, similarly to what Jesus experienced, false witnesses were bringing charges against Stephen. Look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, I've read this verse a number of times, and every time I look at this, I, I kind of imagine Stephen with his face kind of glowing and you know, pulsing like a bulb at Christmas or something like that. So I got to wondering, what exactly does this mean? What does it mean that Stephen was having a face like an angel? What it means is he was walking with God. It means that the Holy Spirit was evident. And I love this quote here by F.F. F. Bruce. This was not the mild, gentle look that is often seen in paintings of angels. Not the fierce look of an avenging angel, but a look that told of inspiration within. Clear eyes, burning with the inner light. Well, I love that. I love that. If we want to be a church that moves forward and seeks the lost and wins the lost and interacts with our city in a meaningful way, we will have to see the world that way. Through clear eyes, burning with inner light, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Stephen has this incredible impact on people as he's just in the room. But 
Stephen's example tells us that opposition will come and sacrifices will need to be made so that others might find Jesus, so that others might live. Now, sacrifices come in many different forms for many different people. It may be that we need to lay aside preferences for the next generation and realize that everything that happens in church isn't about me. We're preparing for the next generation of Christians. And we've had to grapple with that a lot as we've restored our building and as we look to the future of what's going to happen here in our building, that this is really the next generation that we're preparing for. Sacrifices might look like saying to God, I'll live anywhere you want me to live. As you assemble your army, that's a hard prayer for many people. I've heard people say, you know, I love God, but I would never leave Minnesota. And I think, oh, you know, God has an army. It's like, kind of like he puts you in service. So are you willing to say that? It means investing in your relationship with him. And in the church, it means serving others. It might mean mentoring someone. And just spending time over coffee and investing that time and sacrificing some of your comfort. It might mean reaching out to someone who's elderly that needs help, that needs just a loving hand. Or taking the time to humble yourself and get wisdom from that person. Because there's an incredible amount of wisdom wrapped up in our older people here. And when I say older, I'm not going to put an age bracket around that, but they have a lot of experience. The sacrifice might mean giving sacrificially. It might mean investing in volunteering. And as a church, we're going to face times where when we multiply, when we plant churches, when we maybe help churches that need to be revitalized, whatever the case may be, we're going to have to send our best leaders. And that's a big sacrifice, and it's hard because our friends go. I have a friend in uh, Vancouver who has a thriving church there, his name is Norm, and he built this beautiful, you know, they, they had planted in these theaters in downtown Vancouver in this really secular core of Vancouver, and he built this beautiful new theater, and they restored it, and he had this church there, and finally for the first time they were all together in the same room, and they were so excited, and he looked at them and said, I'm glad you're here, because it's not going to last. We're going to plant again, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to expect some of you to go. That's sacrifice. But that's what has to happen for the gospel to go forward. And so this was what was happening in this time. And at some point, it may be this year, it might be 30 years from now, 40 years, someone in Minnetonka, Minnesota even, is going to have to pay like Stephen did in order to enable the gospel. And certainly, we are asked to deny ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for this cause. And so... Hard decisions need to be made when it comes to following Jesus. This isn't easy stuff. You know, like Satan's coming after you. You might be put in harm's way, but we don't have to be afraid. Stephen wasn't afraid. If you look here, that he is seized now by the high priest, and the high priest asked him in chapter 7, verse 1, are these things so? Or in other words, are these charges true? And that triggers this long sermon that takes us almost all the way through chapter 7. The basic theme of the sermon is that the Jewish people have rejected Christ as Messiah. And then he turns the tables on his accusers and he tells them, I'm not the one who's disobeying God. You are. And he's in trouble. 
but he said what God wanted him to say. These are truthful words, and we see the sermon culminate here and rile up the crowd in 7, 51 through 53. So look at those verses for a moment. Here's what he says. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. That takes courage. Talk about courageously multiplying. Stand in front of a bunch of people that can really hurt you and you say that to them. And the statement is harsh, but remember, Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit, so he's speaking truth. He's not, he's not trying to create an issue, he's speaking truth. And even as the crowd turned on him with the intent of killing him, the Spirit enabled him to stand strong for his principles and for Christ. And here's a really important thing I want to say to you. No matter what happens, don't be afraid because God is with you. And so, as our culture shifts and changes, and as we stand for Christ, and have to, as we take unpopular stands at times, with love and with grace, we can always know that God is with us. He will never, ever desert us. And you can stand strong for Jesus anywhere and, and know that you'll never be forsaken. As we see Stephen here, he discovers that truth in this incredible situation. As the stones begin to fly, he looks up, and what does he see? He sees his protector there. Look at 7, 54 through 60. And now they heard these things and were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They stopped listening. And they rushed together at him. And when they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll talk about that in a moment. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. Do you see the parallelism with Jesus here? And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The first martyr. What grace. What incredible power that God gave him. And that power is available to you and to me. And he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What does that exactly mean? Scholars have, have debated that. This is what they do. They, they have conferences and they talk about stuff like this. And there's a whole lot of different ideas, but I think the one that makes the most sense is that this is an indication that a new way of accessing God was now at play. Jesus was the one that accessed salvation. He was the pathway to salvation. So He's welcoming believers. He's welcoming his servant. People of all races and all, all nations were now welcome 
to take part in the gospel. A new day had come, and specifically, this was no longer a Jewish proposition. It was a Gentile proposition as well. And so here's the truth I want you to know this morning, is that you are welcome in the kingdom of God. And, and you may not feel worthy. You may feel like there's no way that I, I should be a Christian. I, I'm not acting like a Christian. I don't feel like a Christian. Maybe you feel like you're all alone. Maybe you feel like you're forgotten. But remember what Stephen saw. Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And so through belief in Jesus Christ and through repentance of sin and acknowledging the fact that you want him to be in control of your life, then you can be saved and heaven is there for you. But it's only through Jesus. And so I want you to know that even though Stephen experienced incredible physical suffering and we experience suffering in this life, that the hope for us is Jesus and ultimately the hope is heaven. And that's what Stephen is experiencing right now. So we've covered a lot of ground this morning. Let's just do a quick recap so that we're together on this. First, I want to remind you that you may experience suffering and because you're out there doing the gospel, furthering the gospel, Satan will oppose you. Now, I wish I could tell you that being Christian was the easiest thing you could ever do. I, I wish I could stand here on one of those shows on TBN, you know, with the revolving globes and the money across the... Maybe we should do that scrolling the, the, the money thing. I'm not sure. But that's nonsense. This is hard. And, it's, and, and because, because it's always been hard. Because culture is, is antithetical to what we believe. And so if we're going to do this together and as individuals, there will be trials. There will be tribulations. There might be physical harm. We forget some time in America. We're all upset. The moment we run into a problem here in America, that certainly means that Jesus is coming back, though the rest of the world has been suffering for thousands of years. Christians have been dying for thousands of years, and we're finally starting to pay attention because now suffering is starting to come to America. So martyrdom is not a new thing. And literally, nations have been built on the blood of missionaries. And that's the truth. And so there is an honor in that. Remember, we, we talked about that. These, these believers were honored to suffer for the name. And there's hope in that. And so remember that your reward is in heaven, and it's worth it. Second, don't ever forget that God is with you. You're not alone. Stephen was never alone. If you were watching from a distance, you might have thought, he's alone. But he looked up and he saw Jesus. Jesus was with him the whole time. And so don't ever wonder if God cares about you or if he sees you or if you're good enough for him. He will always be with you. And also remember that Satan is no match for him. You don't have to be afraid, but you do need to be aware. There are spiritual forces at work. And finally, I'm going to repeat this because it's important. So second time around, you are always welcome in the kingdom of God. Don't waste your life searching for temporal happiness. Don't go after money and power and prestige, comfort, because the kingdom of God is waiting for you. That's your destination. 
That's where you belong. And Stephen was just a man. I mean, he was human like you and me. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was sold out to the mission. God used him to usher in a new era of salvation for Jews and Gentiles. And he's a living example of a man who ran into this idea that before multiplication happens, storms hit, Satan attacks. So we have to decide who we're going to be. I know that he has plans for you. I know that when you abide with him and in him, he will show you those plans that he has for you. And there's one more verse I want to show you just to understate that point. I want you to look at or or underline that point. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And notice who's overseeing Stephen's death. And you saw this in the passage before as well. Saul approved of his execution. That's Paul. That's the greatest evangelist that ever lived. And look, he's there killing Stephen. He killed Christians. He's running the operation. And you don't think he can use you? I look at this and I think, yeah, I feel shame sometimes. And sometimes I don't feel worthy. But Paul, Paul. And, And the gospel is spreading. And he's designed you to play a role in that. And, and sure, your metal's going to get tested, but you can pray for strength. You can pray for endurance. You can pray for energy. We need to come together. This is why it's so important to gather when we can, because we need each other, and we need to pull strength from each other, because ultimately, God is going to ask us to die to self in order that others might live. We're going to do communion, but let's just pray quickly first. God, I just thank you for this example of a man named Stephen who was just like us. He's just a guy who, who was serving and had this reputation and was willing to tell the truth. And I just pray that I could be that kind of a man. And when the pressure's on, that I would react like you did, God. And so help us to know what our role is and help us to be able to say to you, whatever you want from me, I'll give it to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.